Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In 1978, the first baby conceived through IVF in vitro fertilization, was born at Oldham General Hospital in Lancashire. Good evening, a beautiful, normal girl. It's the first known baby conceived outside its mother's womb. This unique medical event has been shrouded in secrecy from the start. Although Mrs. Brown arrived at Oldham General Hospital eight weeks ago to prepare for the birth, it was over a month before anyone outside knew. Breakthrough by British scientists allowed millions of people around the world to have babies when they otherwise couldn't. And it's not just couples. In the last few years, there's been a 44% rise in single women seeking treatment to get pregnant alone. But the sperm they're using isn't coming from British men. In 2020, over half of all donated sperm came from abroad, and much of that from Denmark, where the country's clinics have become a haven for fertility tourism. The staff speak 14 languages to deal with international clients. We export to more than 100 countries in the world, all the way from Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Europe. And all so why is single motherhood by choice on the rise? And why are women choosing Danish donors over the Brits? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why single women are going to Denmark to become mothers. Rachel Sylvester and I'm a columnist at The Times and an interviewer and I'm currently chairing The Times Health Commission, which is a year-long inquiry into the whole NHS and social care, public health, obesity. And Rachel, as part of this Health Commission, you've looked at the fascinating topic of fertility. Just tell us what made you look into this particular story? I was going to Denmark to look at the health system there because it's one of the best in the world and I wanted to find out what they were doing right that we might be able to emulate. And I came across this clinic in Aarhus, which is the second biggest city in Denmark, which seemed to have lots of British women going for fertility treatment there. So I decided to investigate and find out why British women were going there, what this clinic was offering that they couldn't get here, and why they'd go abroad for treatment that potentially is available, at least for some people on the NHS. And this Danish clinic that you visited is incredibly popular with one particular group of people. Tell us a bit about that. What was so fascinating to me talking to the people 
at the Danish clinic was that the trend is for single women to be seeking fertility treatment. Previously, they would have mainly lesbian couples coming for treatment, but now 70% of the women going for treatment at that clinic are single women. And just give us a sense of what they can get here and what the state of fertility treatment is like in the UK. The problem is that the NHS is very patchy. So there's a real postcode lottery of availability. And it really depends which area you live in, what you're going to be able to get. And so a lot of people end up having to go private, which is really expensive. The system also seems to push people to quite medicalised versions of treatment. So IVF, Mm. in vitro fertilisation, where the egg is fertilised outside the body and then put back. And that involves quite a lot of hormones and chemicals and is quite invasive, rather than IUI, intrauterine insemination, where the sperm is inserted into the uterus. And what happens if you're a single woman? I mean, can you get IVF or IUI on the NHS? It's actually really complicated and confusing. So the guidelines from NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which decides what kind of treatments should be available on the NHS, says that single women are eligible for fertility treatment on the NHS if they have fertility problems. But the problem is it's quite hard for single women to prove that they have medical fertility problem without a partner because there are two ways you can prove it. One is by having unprotected sex for two years and the other is by having 12 cycles of artificial insemination and that's pretty expensive and hard to do and that's in order to get three cycles of IVF. The truth is that for many single women fertility treatment is not really accessible on the NHS And that's compounded by the fact that there's a postcode lottery. So NICE acknowledges that there are complexities around the access and funding in this area, and they are reviewing it, they told me. But at the moment, it's a pretty messy situation. Is it also harder for single women who want to have fertility treatment in this country because there just aren't as many sperm donors? Well, that's a huge issue. And in Denmark, there seems to be a real culture of being a sperm donor. So there are these specialist sperm banks, which is almost like online dating. You can see all the profile of the donors. I looked at one of these websites, and the most popular donor at the moment is someone called Raphael, who's an urban planning student with dark hair and chocolatey brown eyes. And <sighs> he loves playing the trumpet and walking. And, you know, he loves his family and he's making pasta with his grandmother. And you don't get that so much here. You don't get that at all here. And the the donors write letters about why they want to donate sperm. They're not doing it for the money. They get something like 25 euros. It's almost like giving blood. It's seen as something altruistic. And one of the issues in this country is that the anonymity of donors has been removed. In Denmark, the donors can choose whether or not they want to be contacted by the child when they reach 18. In this country, they have to give up their anonymity, which a lot of people say is putting some donors off. So given all of those factors, what is the state of sperm donation in the UK? Well, rather extraordinarily, the UK had a national sperm bank, but it stopped recruiting new donors altogether in 2016 after just two years. And it had only successfully signed up seven donors. 
And there are some private sperm banks. But the biggest one, it was reported, only had 29 donors in May. And in comparison, one of the big Danish ones had 679. 29 donors? I know. I mean, that's an extraordinarily low sum if that's a national Mm. supply, effectively. And what's so interesting as well, in, in Denmark, they have a limit on the number of babies that each sperm donor can father, if you like. So Mm. if you're the mother, you pay more for a more exclusive donation. So you pay a bit more for a donor who's only fathering 25 babies. The typical number is 75. But it's still quite a lot. So there's then a culture of the babies who are fathered by the same donor getting to know each other and connecting with their siblings. And the fertility clinic that I visited facilitated those connections so that the mothers could get to know each other and the children could meet their genetic siblings. Given that sperm donation is so unbelievably low in this country and more single women are going to places like Denmark, I mean, should we expect effectively a Viking invasion? (laughs) We're about to have more Viking genes than we're expecting. Well, it's really fascinating trend, isn't it? Maybe there will be very good rowers. (laughs) (laughs) Can but hope. Yeah, exactly. We'll hear more about Rachel's trip to Denmark later, where, as she pointed out, 70% of their patients currently are single mothers. But not all British women are going to Denmark. Some are just importing Danish sperm to use here in British clinics. I'm Liv Thorne, and I got pregnant via an anonymous Danish sperm donor, and I now have a happy, healthy five-year-old son. What made you make the decision that that's what you wanted to do? So I'd been single for all of my adult life, essentially, and I'd got to the stage where I was mid-30s. Everyone around me had children. I'd always wanted to be a mother. I became an auntie when I was 12. I've always been surrounded by kids, and I just assumed that's what would happen, and that's what I wanted my life path to be. I really did feel that maternal urge. And I also very loudly heard the cries of the media and about how your fertile health declines rapidly the older you get. And so I decided that I had to take matters into my own hands if I wanted to become a parent. So you decide you want to do this. How do you go about doing it? I literally knew nothing. I googled fertility clinics and the first one that answered is the one that I chose to go ahead with. And are these fertility clinics on the NHS? No, these were all private clinics. I, in all honesty, I never looked into the NHS. I do know some people who have had fertility treatment on the NHS as solo parents, but I think that's very post-codependent. And I didn't want that to be something that stopped me going ahead. So you decide to go to a private clinic, and I imagine yes. that's an expensive process. It was about 13, 12, 13,000 pounds. Wow, that, that is a lot of money. 
it is a lot of money and it is an industry, the fertility industry, and you will get charged every which way for things you didn't even think about. And I'd never had any private medical treatment ever before, so the whole thing was very new to me. And yet the one thing I did know about becoming a parent alone was that it would cost a shed load of money. And that was correct. <laughs> it did. And tell me about that private clinic. Yeah. So w- what happens when you go along? So you have a, a discussion with one of the clinicians who talks to you about your options. So you'll have a fertility health check so they see how many eggs, etc. you've got so that they can assess what they think are good path for you would be, whether that be IVF. And then there's the slightly less invasive IUI, which is where the sperm is injected directly into your cervix. So which did you choose to go for? And then I went with natural IUI because I was somewhat convinced that I didn't have a fertility issue so much as I didn't have a partner. I didn't have sperm at my disposal. Yeah. Rather than I was infertile or or I thought I may have a fertility issue. I didn't want to put my body through any hormonal treatment if I didn't need to. I absolutely would have if it had got to the stage where it was clear that IUI wasn't going to work naturally. And you say that you thought you were quite fertile. The thing you didn't have was sperm at your disposal. Tell me about that part. How do you go about working out where where you're going to get it from, (laughs) even within the private clinic? How does that happen? I had once watched a documentary a couple of years beforehand called The Vikings Are Coming on the BBC. And it was talking about Danish sperm donors. And so that is all I knew about sperm donation was that in Denmark, there was a good, solid choice of donors. So it's an online website and there's a filtering system and you go through various taxonomies of what you're looking for. What for you? What were you looking for? I mean, do they tell you what their height? Yes. So they do race, height, hair colour, eye colour, what their grandparents did for a living, how their grandparents died if they died. Oh my God. I know all these sort of things, what their favourite childhood memory was, what their favourite colour was. Like it's a bonkers amount of information for someone you will never meet. I mean, that's more information than you'd get for a lot of dating profiles. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. And I sort of get why it's there, but equally it makes it more terrifying to choose because you're not dating this sperm and half of the stuff you're told isn't going to be genetically passed down Mm. so initially it was like I chose people with my eye color that kind of thing because it I wanted my offspring to look like me yeah because I would never be able to visualize who the other percentage of their DNA was and yeah at the beginning it was like oh god no they've mentioned I don't know something ridiculous like that they loved rats or something. And I'd be like, oh, no, don't want them. Um, and then I said, I realised I was being absolutely bonkers. And what I needed to do was look into familial health because my family is riddled with cancer. And so I wanted to give the best chance I could hmm. to any potential children. 
So that's what I eventually went with, was a donor that had good familial health. And then what happens next? Because you've chosen, I mean, do you actually go to Denmark? No, you can do. I literally chose it online. I added it to the online basket and I had it shipped to my clinic in the UK. Wow. Was the clinic surprised that you were getting it shipped over from Denmark? Or is that something that happens a lot now? No, no, it happens a lot. They didn't bat an eyelid. In fact, I think it's really common. And Liv, you've actually written about your experiences and you know yeah. you, you share them online. What made you want to do that? It was really important to me to, to show that there, there are so many different routes to parenthood beyond the 2.4 children of a happy heterosexual couple. And I think that is becoming not more commonplace now, but I think it is becoming more talked about now than it was even six, seven years ago when I was looking. I couldn't find anyone like me Mm. that seemed fairly normal. I just think it should be really clear that you're not alone if you find yourself wanting a child and, and not in a relationship. Like, my son is not my dirty little secret. He will never be. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of how I created him. And I think more people are talking about everything to do with parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood, now. And I think solo parenthood is just another aspect of that. Coming up, so why are so many women now choosing to become single parents? And in Britain, how much does your budget affect your ability to have a baby? That's in just a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Earlier in this episode, we heard from the Times journalist Rachel Sylvester. Her research into the state of fertility treatment and who's using it led her to a clinic in a city on the eastern coast of Denmark that specialises in IUI, 
or intrauterine insemination. It's called the Dees Clinic in Aarhus, and it's just an upstairs room, couple of rooms really, oh, and really? a shopping street um, oh. in the middle of town. One wall is full of baby pictures. So every time a baby is conceived there and born, they take a photograph and they put it on the wall. And they've got drawers full of other babies that have been born that they haven't yet got space for or put up. And the clinic was founded by a woman called Lisa Dears, who herself had had IUI. She's had three babies with her partner And she wanted to offer the same service to other women. So when she started offering the fertility treatment, it was actually illegal for doctors in Denmark to give fertility treatment to single women or lesbians. Really? Yeah, Yeah, but she, she was a midwife. And midwives were allowed to do this IUI treatment. So she started offering it as a sort of parallel service to the doctor. God, that's amazing. Mm. When did that change? 2007 so that doctors could do it but by then she'd established this clinic and they have something like 1500 babies born successfully a year Uh, and they've got British women now ringing up every day she said asking to come out really yeah have they seen this sort of sudden influx of British women is, is yeah, that new? Yeah, she said it's been really dr- quite dramatic and also this trend towards single women rather than lesbians coming, particularly from Britain, that that's a real phenomenon that they've identified. Did you get a sense from what the people at the clinic were able to tell you and some of the people you, you spoke to there of why that's suddenly happening now? They thought that the trend towards single women, which is across the board, it's not just British women, they think that's to do with the sort of sense of empowerment that women have, that actually they're not going to wait around for a man anymore. If they want a child, they're going to have one. And I think there has been a real cultural shift. 20, 30 years ago, that was frowned upon. I remember Peter Lilly at the Conservative conference denigrating single mothers with his little list of people he disapproved of. I've got a little list of benefit offenders who I'll soon be rooting out and who never would be missed. They never would be missed. There's young ladies who get pregnant just to jump the housing queue and dads who won't support the kids of the ladies they have kissed. That would be completely impossible to imagine now. And I also think that women are more aware of the kind of biological clock ticking. They're more aware of time running out. Mm. And I think also that women are being more picky. They want to have the right partner. Certainly the woman that I spoke to said she'd had various partners in the past, but they never felt like the right person, the person she wanted to have children with. And now she was so relieved that she hadn't settled for those men and she yeah. decided to do it on her own. Doing the process in Denmark, was that cheaper than doing it here in the UK? Yeah. The woman that I spoke to said it cost about half the amount that it would have cost to have fertility treatment in the UK. It was mm. The total was about £5,000, which included all the flights, two rounds of treatment. In the UK, it would have cost about £10,000. Rachel, for you, does this story tell us anything about how we value women's health care here? 
think what it tells me is that what women want has changed and perhaps the health system hasn't caught up, that women now see themselves as sort of independent beings. They don't see themselves as chattels who are going to be relying on a man. I definitely think that the NHS doesn't take women's health seriously in a lot of ways. So you look at the appalling state of maternity services, mm. lots of women feeling really traumatised by the experience of giving birth, speaking of post-traumatic stress disorder almost, wow. um, the number of medical negligence claims relating to maternity care. I think that does reflect undervaluing of women in the health service. This option of going to Denmark does seem like a, a great solution, but we should just point out that it is only for women who can afford it. We talk about the NHS being free at the point of care, but when it comes to fertility, it's a postcode lottery. But I suppose the NHS has to think about its priorities and is having a child a right? Is it essential for your health and well-being? I think these are really interesting questions and I don't think they've really been fully resolved. And Liv, if your son is very curious, if he at some point wants to find his biological father, is that allowed? I chose an open donor. It was really important to me to have an open donor because that isn't my decision. I'll be making enough decisions for my son in his lifetime that if he wanted to connect with his donor, that's his decision entirely. And I didn't want to shut that door for him. I've talked about it to him since he was born and obviously I just changed the language depending on the age of what he can understand but he knows that he doesn't have a dad he has a donor he asks questions about it we talk about it he's not been cross with me yet but yeah he's a kid it's coming and I have no <laughs> doubt it's coming and he talks about going to Denmark when he's 18 really because he thinks he wants to meet the donor but he will also say things like but I might change my mind and of course he might. He's five. He doesn't yeah. understand the whole, all of that yet. Of course he doesn't. But I don't want him to suddenly wake up when he's 18 and me go, oh, by the way, you don't have a dad. You have a donor. It was really important to me to be open from the beginning because yeah, because I, it's his life. He should know that. And Liv, having gone through it all, having your five-year-old son now, is it a process that you'd recommend to others? Oh, look, I can't answer that because it's hard. It's tough. Being a solo parent is tough. But I think for me, it would have been tougher to go through life not being a parent. I've never regretted it a day in my life. And there are some parts of solo parenthood that I think are much less tough being a solo parent than if you were in a relationship. Things like there's no resentment. So I don't have anyone that comes home and can undermine the fact that I've just said Herb can't watch, I don't know, whatever on telly. And yeah, being a parent on your own, I don't have to share him with anyone, which is <laughs> as selfish as it is brilliant. Like the more my friends talk to me about parenthood as a couple, they're, they're the bits that um, I'm like, oh, okay. I can do this, it's going to be fine. 
been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, columnist and interviewer for The Times and chair of The Times Health Commission, Rachel Sylvester, and Liv Thorne. You can find Rachel's article about the Deers Fertility Clinic in Denmark at thetimes.co.uk if you're a subscriber. And you'll also have access to all of the Times Health Commission's research on everything from obesity to robotics and the state of the NHS. The producers today were Blanka Schofield and Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.